Hey, everybody, you're locked on to localjobnetwork.com radio, and this is the podcast, You Do What? Now, this checks out a variety of non-traditional jobs. Maybe they're a little different, possibly more exciting than your typical office job. Regardless, we're letting you know there are opportunities to match your skills and passion to create a unique career. Now, this episode definitely is going to rank up there in terms of excitement, though we may find out it's not all fun and games at the pro level. We're talking about professional poker, and we're thrilled to have on Daniel Negranu, one of the biggest names in poker and one of the highest earning live tournament players of all time. He actually just recently clinched the World Series of Poker Player of the Year Award for the second time in his career. Daniel, pleasure having you on today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem, man. Good to be here. You know, first of all, I think everyone's always curious about stories like yours, but just tell us how it got started. Did you always know you wanted to get into it? Was there this this big epiphany that you said, I'm, I'm going for it I'm, I'm, and there's no turning back? Well, what's your story as far as how it all got started? Well, I mean, really, I sort of backed into it. I was a teenager in Toronto, you know, playing pool, meeting, you know, the seedy types, if you will, <laughs> doing the sports betting, whatever it is as a teenager, and then found poker, you know, through that. And I noticed like, wow, same guys seem to keep winning. Hmm. I wonder why that is. And I was always a competitive person. So, you know, I, I wanted to win. And, um, you know, through that, I sort of started playing poker for a few years in Toronto. And then by the time I was about 22, I kind of woke up one morning and said, you know, I guess this is what I do for a living. So <laughs> there was never really a conscious choice, like, I'm going to be a professional poker player, because by the time I made that decision, I pretty much already was. Right. So was there, I mean, did your family or friends have any sort of reaction when they realized this is what you thought your career was going to be? <laughs> reaction? My mama, she's an old school European woman, you know? <laughs> oh, boy. So, she looks at me and she says, Daniel, forget about the poker. You go to school, <laughs> right? So with my parents, you know, I had to just show them how serious I took it. So I had very meticulous record books. I showed them how much my hourly rate was. Wow. I showed them I was making $44 an hour on Tuesdays, $53 <laughs> an hour on Thursdays, and just, you know, let them know and see how serious I was about it. Right. And ultimately, you know, when I bought my mother a house in Las Vegas, you know, you ask her about poker, she says, oh, poker? Poker is good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. I think people like hearing that, that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't obviously a traditional path and you had to fight your mother just like any other person listening might have to do in terms of what they want to do with their life. What's the process like then? I mean, you went out to Vegas. Is it just building up a, a bankroll? How does that all work in terms of sort of arriving on the scene of professional poker? Well, you know, it's changed, right? When I was around, there was no, no such thing as really online poker. Right. So I was already basically working in Toronto, what I, what I did was I, I decided, like I said, I want to take it seriously. So Monday to Friday from noon to 8 p.m., I'd play poker. Hmm. So I'd, I'd clock in at noon, and regardless of how I was doing at 8 p.m., I'd clock out, just like a real job, a 40-hour-a-week job. Interesting. Of course, when I went to Las Vegas, things changed, and, you know, I had to, you know, I had a lot of bumps in the road and learning curves, you know, because a lot of the Vegas locals, they've seen the hometown hero come and go. Right, right. And, uh, and I came and I went for the first <laughs> eight months, you know, I just... Came in as a cocky 21-year-old and got what I deserved, if you will. But it was a great learning experience for me. Today, the way people get into poker is much different because sure. you can learn the trade online. And you can, you know, in the comfort of your own home, you can just, you know, really grind a lot of micro-stakes tables. And if I had to do it all over again, that's likely what I would do. Hmm. And, you know, build bankroll, build that way. The way I did it was, you know, I guess what you'd call old school. Right, right. Yeah, well, I mean... As you said, that is the way they do it now, and you sort of did it, as you mentioned, old school way there. Did you doubt ever yourself that this could really be a career? I mean, did you have that moment you thought maybe maybe mom was right? There was a moment when I left Mirage, you know, with about $7 in my pocket, and I was like, okay, well, I'm not using that to take a cab home. So <laughs> I walked back to the budget suites where I was staying, and just the walk was kind of therapeutic in a sense. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was at night, and I thought, wow, you know, these guys are better than me. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to make it. And I had those thoughts that evening, and I woke up fresh the next morning and, and you know, refreshed and re anew and, 
realize, you know, like people get knocked down. It's a question of like the determination. And I had that. So I went back to Toronto and I rebuilt my bankroll and kept trying, you know, kept moving forward and just didn't, you know, I, I didn't allow the doubt to creep in for too long. Mm-hmm. Cause I think if I had, I probably wouldn't have been as successful as I am. Cause I'm a big believer in, um, you know, if you don't believe you'll be successful at something, then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Sure. Sure. Well, obviously it worked out for you. I mean, you, you're, as we mentioned off the top, one of the biggest names, extremely successful, especially, you know, the, uh, the whole idea of the live tournaments, I think is intriguing to people. Uh, and one of the thing I want to bring up is, you know, we said you won the World Series uh, Poker Player of the Year Award for the second time. You recently won your sixth uh, World Series Poker Bracelet. What does that feel like now in terms of earning those accolades, those honors, considering, as you said, you were at a point where you were beat down, and, and it may seem like ages ago, but what does it feel like to win these types of awards in your profession? Well, it's, it's like the self-acknowledgement and the reward for the hard work that I put in in my early 20s. You know, so it's you're like you're right. It does seem like a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, my career has taken a path where in, in 2004 I was number one. I was doing it all, and then you know, there's there's ups and downs throughout. So for me, it's like a return, you know, a re, you know, sort of like reclaiming my past glory. Being I'm, you know, in all the ranking systems, I'm number one. Right. Anyone that you look at, I'm number one in the world right now, and that's that's a, that's a feeling of just real appreciation uh, for the most part, and. Uh, like the biggest connection for me, that I, and I can't go without mentioning it, is I, I did a course in November uh, at, here in Las Vegas called Choice Center, hmm. and uh, I really sort of tapped into like a new level of confidence that's really allowed me to like sort of catapult my game to a, to new heights. Right. Wow. That's that's interesting to hear. Even somebody at, at your level, you know, seeking out that little extra help there. One thing I, I saw that was interesting is that after you had won the uh, the award for a World Series Poker Player of the Year, there are a number of tweets from other professional players, ones that I'm sure a lot of our listeners would recognize. One had said that you're inspirational and amazing. Another tweet had said that you're not just an idol, but quote, our main defense for the skill game. When you hear comments like that, I mean, what sort of feeling does that bring about for you? Well, you know, that's, that's for me, that's, that's like, that touches me emotionally because I think, uh, you know, having the, res- you know, having the respect of your peers and those in the game, that's really the ultimate, you know, sort of, uh, appreciation. And like, it's an honor to see other great players who I admire, mm-hmm. you know, say, wow, you know, great, great job. You represent us well. It makes it feel all worth it. You know, all the work that I do both by working on my game as well as, you know, representing the game as an ambassador. Right. So what is it then, if you had to break it down to one or two things, what do you really love about poker? And you mentioned you're competitive and you, you've dabbled in other things, but what is it about poker that you just absolutely have a passion and love for? Well, it's a couple things, really. I mean, I love the psychological aspect of it. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a people lover. I, I've, I've always had a lot of different diverse types of friends. And at the poker table, you just, you know, anytime you sit down, you meet a whole new group of people mm-hmm. and you have an opportunity to really sort of like get to know people on a different kind of level that, you, you know, you look at a poker table and you see people sit there that you've never seen in any other environment, you know. <laughs> uh, it's really a melting pot of, of diverse types of people. So I appreciate and I love that. And of course, from a competitive perspective, you know, I'm 5'9", buck sixty right now. Um, <laughs> and I would have loved to have been a hockey player, a basketball player, you know, too short for that. A, a jockey, I'm too tall to be. So <laughs> poker, just kind of like, I can sit down at a poker table with a guy who's 6'5", you know, 260, and I can... I can smack him around. Right. He's on my turf now. So that's there's something rewarding in that too. You know, and that's one thing I had brought up when I had mentioned this uh, story idea is that poker gives that allure, that draw, that anyone can do it if you if you put the effort in, you you learn certain things, you keep you know that perseverance that you mentioned about. Is that something that you think has allowed poker to really just boom in the last 10, 15 years? Well, no, I definitely think that's the one attraction to poker that's different from other sports. Like you think of 
you know, the NBA, and people say, oh, I'd love to play with Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Well, you can't do that. Right. You know, not you can't just do that. It takes a lot. <laughs> but with poker, you know, if you have the money, you can sit down with the best in the world, and you can check raise, bluff them on the river. You can you can have your like you know hometown hero like story. On top of that, if you put the work in in poker, you know, you look at like how people rise. There's no discrimination against certain types. I mm. mean, to be a basketball player, really, if you're five foot, I call that a limiting skill. Like yeah, good with luck. poker, <laughs> there's no background that says, okay, well, they're unlikely to be successful at poker. You look at the vast you know, cultural differences in terms of a lot of the best players in the world. And you realize that, you know, essentially there's no, nothing holding you back other than of course, intelligence, but, uh, you know, there's no real way to like exclude certain people to say you're, that you're just too dumb. Sure. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in a lot of cases I would argue that while somebody might not have been book smart and you, you talk about, you know, reading people and there's the psychological aspect of it. And I, I wanted to bring that up because you're known for winning hands with the bluff and being able to read individuals and, and maybe sell them on, on one thing or another. What, what would you say without giving away maybe any secrets that'll affect you in your game? What, what are the keys really to a good bluff, to being successful using that strategy? Well, it's interesting to touch on a topic and there, like, the difference I would equate it to is you, you were touching on IQ. And then there's another thing called EQ, which right. is emotional intelligence. Yep. And that's more based on, you know, your people skills and, you know, your self-awareness. And that's one of the most important aspects of even running a bluff on somebody, you know, being self-aware in terms of what do they think of me? How do they perceive me, right? So now you take that and you think, okay, well, how can I create a strategy that's going to fool them? And this works in business and life and everything. Being sure. self-aware is just a valuable attribute to have. And certainly at the poker table, that's, I think that the really, the truly best players, the ones that play like Mozart, like poker, rather than the science, you know, they're not just stuck in math. They're making decisions based on uh, emotion, based on a connection to people and really getting inside somebody's head. Mm -hmm. So do you think things like wearing sunglasses and hats and, and all that, I mean, does that affect you at all? Do you think it, it does play a role? And what's your sort of take on that aspect of it? Well, I'm going to be quite honest. I think when I see somebody wearing sunglasses, and if you look at the best players in the world, I can't name one, really, right. that wears sunglasses. Right. Wearing sunglasses, to me, is like a badge of, like, I'm afraid. Mm. I am scared of you. Right. So it's generally the case. Not always the case. Some sure. people wear, you know, for other reasons. But I find that sometimes when people are wearing sunglasses, they think they're hidden. They think they're invisible. And they actually give off more physical information than people that aren't, you know, whether it's in their neck, in their arms, their posture. Right. There's a lot of other things that you give away. It's not just in the eyes. But certainly, I mean, I don't think there should be a part of the game, but I, I, don't, I also understand that, you know, hey, there's a limit to what we should exclude in terms of people's uh, weapons at the poker table. So if somebody wanted to wear sunglasses, you know, they should have the right to. So does that, for you, uh, someone who is such a, you know, use psychology, really, if you will, when you're playing the game, does that make online more difficult? Is it just a different strategy? How do you approach it from the live tournaments versus online? Well, online poker is a very different animal. Right. Um, and I'm actually, you know, I have the best of both worlds, and I think, to, to be a good poker player, because I've always been a numbers nerd. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> I used to play video games like RBI Baseball. Yes. Before they, before they kept stats for you. And I would, like, play Chinese Taipei or something, uh, and I'd keep track of Lo Min Chow's batting average, his RBIs, and his on-base percentage, and I'd write it down on pieces of paper. My mom would like, what are you doing with all these papers? You know, I'd have wrestlers in a ring fight, and then I'd toss a coin to see who won, and I'd create <laughs> tournament structures and point systems based on who is the wrestler of the year. Is it Hulk Hogan or Ricky Steamboat? And of course, when I was a kid, I'd actually play out the fights. But uh, I've had that since I was a young age. And online poker speaks to that strength a lot more because okay. it's based on betting patterns. It's based on numbers. It's based on, you know, betting tendencies. You don't have the ability to, like, look at the person. 
So you just have to come up with uh, a more like sort of analytical mathematical approach to the game. Right, right. Well, I'm glad I wasn't the only one doing stuff like that, uh, you know, keeping my own statistics. Uh, I'm, I'm a big baseball guy, so stats are stats are a big part of my life, too. I'm glad to hear I wasn't the only one. What about the idea of luck and randomness? And I know that can sort of irritate and offend some professional poker players. Some acknowledge it to a greater extent than others. What What's just your overall take on its role and success or failure occasionally? Luck and the perception of luck separates the truly great players from the rest. And what I mean by that is this. Those people that are obsessed with luck and the connection to their results are the ones that usually say, you know what, I'm so much better than this guy, but he's luckier than me. Mm. When someone has that belief, right, they're going to make it true, and they're going to find ways to make it true. So obviously luck plays a role in poker. It's the guys who realize that and just they don't focus on it because there's, there's no control over luck. All you can control is the decisions you make, right? So if someone thinks I'm luckier than them, then I've already got them at a psychological disadvantage right. because there's certain situations, there's certain things I'll be able to do. And like, for example, a poker example would be, uh, I just tweeted this this morning, you know, say a scary card comes on the river, the flush card comes, and now I make a big bet at it. Well, this unlucky player in his own mind thinks, of course you got the flush when I have a pair of aces. Oh, sure. And now he folds because he's already defeated in his mind. He already thinks negatively. So Really, I think that's a very important question because people's perception of luck will say a lot about how successful they'll be in anything. I think that translates to life as well. Mm-hmm. When people you know, talk about all the things that hold them back in life, like, oh, I wasn't good looking enough or I'm not tall enough or this, they create their own reality. I believe that wholeheartedly. I think that's a great piece of advice for all of our listeners, as you said, whether it be in the, the job search or maybe looking to get into poker. I appreciate that perspective there. If we look into your schedule a little bit, what is it typically like in terms of playing live tournaments, traveling, other work that you you enjoy doing or or being involved with? What's sort of a a breakdown of of what your days and weeks and years are really like? Well, it's an interesting question because really they're so different. It depends on where I'm at. For example, I just came back from a seven-week trip which uh, is a long one for me all over Europe, okay. traveling, playing tournaments in, you know, in Paris, you know, London, in, um, and I was also shooting a commercial in Barcelona for a week. So really sort of traveling the globe. And when I'm doing that, you know, you're looking at about 10.30, wake up, playing a tournament at noon, playing till about midnight, and just really working hard at that. Right. Uh, when I'm home is when I feel most at peace because I really don't play any poker. You know, I'm home now for all the month of November, and I really, like, yearn for a very structured, routine life. So. Huh. I have, uh, you know, I have a, a list. I actually have every day planned out for this month, basically. <laughs> you know, I have a routine where I, you know, I read. I read a lot of books. I really enjoy, you know, doing that. And I also, you know, I'm studying Spanish. I'm working out regularly, like four or five times a week. I'm also doing things in, in town where I'm, I'm doing some coaching at the center, which uh, was very valuable for me. That's cool. Um, you know, I've gone out to do some coaching of, of, and helping other people. And I find that that fulfills the rest of my time. Right. Sort of being outwardly focused and you know, just giving back in a sense. And that, that to me is, a, is like a full day of joy where I have my routine and I'm also, you know, doing things for other people. Yeah, it's really cool to hear that. And I think for our listeners, especially those that are poker fans already, to to understand that there is more to what's going on and that your your success, you've been able to utilize that in other areas um, of your life. And I think that's a, a appreciative uh, of what you've done there. Uh, what about as far as the challenging parts of being a professional poker player? Because everybody's going to say, you know, oh, gosh, that'd be so great. And it's it's just playing games and it's so fun. I would love that. But, I mean, there's also a reality to the demands of it. What would you point to as being those challenges? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to warn everybody here that thinks they're just going to, you know, roll out of bed tomorrow and become a professional poker player. 
there's a book called Outliers, uh, written by Malcolm Gladwell, and he talks about to be a ma- master at anything, it requires 10,000 hours mm-hmm. of work. And I, you know, I, when I was in my late teens, I was playing 2,500 to 3,000 hours a, a year of just poker. So, you know, I, I put in my time. Poker is a game that requires a lot of hard work and a lot of emotional stability. You're going to be challenged. You know, you'll get beat down. You'll have to question yourself. You'll have to dig deep. And the ultimate, the ultimate truth is it's just not for everybody. For everybody. So I would suggest anybody that's considering getting into it not to quit their day job, right. but to look to maybe, you know, start poker as, as a way to supplement their income. And if they find after a year that they're doing well enough where they're making more than they would at their day job, they, they can try that. Although there's a whole new sense of, uh, you know, emotional stability necessary. Because when, when you have to play for your rent money and the turn of a card puts you in jeopardy there, it creates a whole new stress level that, that can affect a lot of people's uh, overall skill level. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, have you come across that a lot with, with people over, I mean, obviously you've played for a long time. Have you seen that happen more often than you'd like? Is it something that's sort of a hush-hush in the business? What, what have you noticed? No, then there's definitely like there's the, you know, the side you see on TV and then there's another right. underbelly where there's a lot of people who are, you know, biting off more than they can chew, living outside their means, um, struggling, you know. And as I said, it's a, you know, if you have 100 people in a poker tournament, you're looking at about 5% of those that are really going to be successful. And the rest, you know, maybe there's another, you know, 15 to 20% of break-even players, and the, and the rest are going to lose. So um, just like the NBA, though, or any sport, you know, how many people, how many kids in high school have a dream to be the next Michael Jordan, yeah. right? Yep. Of 100 kids, how many are going to make the NBA? Right. It's no different. It's really no different. So the only difference is with poker, it's kind of, it sort of weeds itself out because, you know, you're risking money. And when you lose that, like, you're not going to be doing it anymore, Right. Speaking of that, I think it kind of goes along with what we're talking about. And well, I mean, maybe this is a little bit of the dark side of poker, so to speak. But in terms of it being addictive and obviously the whole gambling side of it, is that something you do warn to people as well? Is that something that you think if you wanted to stop, you could stop? I mean, where does that all come into play for a professional especially? Well, you know, that is the best part. That's the most interesting thing about poker is that poker doesn't lend itself to people who have gambling addiction. Because people who have gambling addiction usually need that, you know, like instant gratification, mm. okay? So people who have gam- compulsive gambling problems are generally going to play machines. They're going to play casino games because they need that instant gratification, where poker is much more of a thinking game, mm. where generally people get in it thinking about, okay, I want to get the best of it. They're not gambling to feed sort of a need. Right. They're doing it in, su- in such a way so that they can actually, you know, master the game or, or improve their skills. So I really don't think, and I'm and I, I've been around 20 years. I don't think that there's a major problem with compulsive gamblers losing all their money playing poker. Are there? Absolutely. I'm sure there are plenty of people who are in that you know, ilk, but uh, it's a very, very small percentage because, again, I think the majority of people uh, are more likely to play the crack cocaine of, of gambling, stuff like lottery, which right. is government-run. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think that's an interesting point, um, just the idea, especially on the professional side, that um, it's it's very much a more skill oriented and, and numbers based versus that that feeling as you said you, uh, you talk about. Let's get to a little a couple more happier things before we wrap up here. Uh, what are some of the more memorable experiences you've had in your career? Um, you know, for whatever reason, things that stick out and you really just cherish in your mind. Well, I mean, I'd have to chip, you know let's go to the most recent one and uh, you know winning my sixth bracelet uh, and winning the Player of the Year for the second time when I was out in Paris. I think one of the things that one of the reasons it was a great memory for me is that generally when I travel, you know, I travel alone. You know, I do my own thing. So if I win, you know, you know, a lot of people usually have a big rail of people and they hug and like, thanks. And I was thankful to have a a good friend of mine and she was on the road with me for like a month and uh, to share it with her and see her being elated for me. It was just really great. And, uh, you know, it just, 
just it just capped off the whole um uh you know month for me and it was really like a pleasure so i would say i would point to that how about uh, if you had to do it all over again would this be what you think you would have chosen or would you have tried elsewhere well who knows you know i'm i'm very happy with the trajectory of my life and where i'm at now especially i feel as though a lot of my skills and the type of personality that i have i was you know well suited to be a poker player Having said that, I feel like I could be a lot of different things. You know, an actor, I could write, I could direct. I mean, I could do, I, I feel like, you know, I'm capable of a lot of things and I'm going to branch out into doing a lot more fun stuff that I find rewarding. But yeah, no, I would absolutely do it all over again. It was a fun ride all the way up till now. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, poker has kind of helped open up maybe those avenues for you. I mean, as far as acting and doing some other things, I mean, what is there anything on the horizon you'd want to mention to us at all? Well, I mean, I've always, when I, was a ch- when I was a teenager, I always, when a child, a very young child, I always thought I was going to be an actor. Okay. And I did some extra work when I was a kid, and I've done plays and things like that. Uh, and then I got into poker and sort of gave all that up. But it's always, a, it's just a passion for me. It's not something I'm looking to do to be famous. It's right. not something I'm looking to do to make money. I've already got money. It's just something I enjoy. Um, I enjoy, the you know, touching into that sort of creative side of myself. But in terms of anything in the horizon, no, not really. But I'm open to whatever, you know. We'll see. <laughs> well, Daniel, I mean, it's been a true pleasure to be able to talk to you. I, I love your perspective on things and um, all the success you've had, obviously. Before we finish up the show, is there anything else you'd want to share with the listeners out there, anywhere you want to go with this regarding the world of poker, uh, professional poker players, um, just anything you would like to give our listeners a, a nice little takeaway from this conversation? Well, I guess, you know, we talked about people getting into the game and, you know, ways to do that. And one of the things I would say that's important is to really sort of take advantage of what's out there. Like, for example, and there's plenty of training sites out there. Mine is PokerVT.com, which is one where, you know, it's my training site where I, it's basically as close to one-on-one training you get with me as possible. And the other thing, too, I would say is really sort of honing your skills by playing as much poker as possible. And, and again, like with, if you play on PokerStars or, you know, even some of the Facebook apps or whatever, it's just a good way to practice. Because anything, anytime you want to be great at something, it, it requires practice. So I would say to make sure to, like, really educate yourself. Get books you know, get get on training sites and, uh, you know, do it responsibly. There you have it from one of the most popular and most successful poker players in the world. Unfortunately, we're going to have to close things out here on this episode of You Do What? We have been talking with pro poker player and, again, one of the best today, Daniel Negranu, also the reigning World Series of Poker Player of the Year. Daniel, thanks again for taking time with us. It was really great to hear, again, your perspective on things, uh, poker and otherwise. Great pleasure to have you on. Thanks again. Oh, no problem, man. Cheers. Of course, we also want to hear from you, the listeners, to find out what other jobs you'd like to learn about, whether they're traditional or not. Just send an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Thanks again for checking into LJN Radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.